where nobody knows your name is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. Hello, and welcome to Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a Cheers podcast. I'm James, and I'm joined by... I'm Barry. Hello, everyone. I feel like I should say, nice to meet you. (laughs) Uh, It's always nice to meet you, Barry. Today we're talking about episode 19 of season 6, Airport V, or 5. This episode was directed by George Went, which is nice. Uh, Written by Ken and Dave. Ken Levine and David Isaacs aired on 25th of February 1988. From knowing who the director is, I'm looking forward to the episode. I'm intrigued. Yeah, did George direct many of these? No, I think this is his only one. But James Burroughs was ill and so had to step down from directing this episode. So George stepped in. What about George's career since? Has he had many directorial opportunities? No, this is the only thing that George has directed. It did a reasonable job. I'm surprised he didn't have a go at it elsewhere. I suppose it's easier to direct your colleagues and friends uh, than perhaps a new project. Than strangers, yeah. I know John Ratzenberger went on to direct a few things. There's talent in this bar. <laughs> that there is. They're really setting the bar. That's it. <laughs> Are you going to keep that one in? Yeah, but I'll also keep in the fact I'm not proud of it. <laughs> So, how does this episode begin, James? Cold Open is Cliff reading a tabloid to which Friedrich scolds him. Yes, suggesting that none of these stories are true. Cliff claims that you can't print it if it isn't the truth, and then tries to prove the truth is retained. He says that no matter how much it's exaggerated or how much it's repeated or morphed, the kernel of truth remains. This was an interesting Cold Open because of two reasons. One, the debate on the sanctity, I guess, of the press, Mm. the purity of the press, which is not a new thing. You know, from the days of Citizen Kane, the press mogul within that film, more accurately, there was a debate of how true the press actually were, to the extent that when Citizen Kane was released, there were some people trying to boycott it because it promoted newspaper tycoons and people thought newspaper tycoons were a bit vulturous, sensationalist and predatorial almost. And now you're looking at things like TMZ, which has a big reputation of this, where they take pictures of celebrities and then put whatever headline they want because they know it will get the reader's attention, even though there may not be any truth in it. The second point is falls back into what we were saying last episode with norms increasing lies and a good lie involves the truth yes which is cliff's point i suppose that there's a truth a nugget of truth at the start of every story but in the case of news stories you've proved with your tale of tmz did you say tmz yeah the 30 mile zone in la which the only nugget of truth is that this person exists it seems (laughs) yeah um that their story is made up Clickbait. Yeah, that's that's the term that's certainly been added to the press lexicon in the last few years, yeah. Without going on a wild tangent, 24-hour news is a lot to answer for in terms of this, because by creating a vacuum that needs to be filled, you are forcing the hand of journalists to create stories. Yeah, it means they either 
make something up or talk about something which is boring. That oversaturation of news means that we are desensitized. And actually, if it's something you can't do anything about, it's important to perhaps know world events, but not get bogged down by them. Exactly. So back to Cliff. Cliff's little game of Chinese whispers around the bar does work. The information travels, but with an insult attached to him. Come here, fella. Listen, I just won uh, five bucks in the lottery. Pass it on, will you? <laughs> Thanks a lot. All right, the truth has begun its journey now around the park. When it returns, it may be a little bit distorted. You know, people will be saying I won 500, maybe 5,000, maybe $5 million. But I guarantee you the essence of the message will be the truth. Hey, Norm, get this. Some geek brain's all jazzed because you just won five bucks. And geek brain is... I wouldn't mind being called a geek brain. That's uh, not an insult to me. Thank you. (laughs) So that's our cold open. The episode in earnest begins with news of a restaurant critic, or in this case, someone who dabbles in bar critique as well, is around the area. And Rebecca is a little nervous of this. It turns out that Cheers had a previous review that was very unfavourable they're convinced that it's the same reviewer who is doing the rounds this time. I mean, as soon as he walks in, you know he's a he's a bar critic. I thought it was going to do the faulty Towers twist, where they're really nice to someone who they think is a bar critic, and it turns out they're just pretentious. In this case, they're both. Yeah, there's definitely an air of... Superiority. and Air of critique. Yeah, but just the need for critique. When he does arrive, Rebecca does this wonderful leap over the bar to beat Carla to the customer. Oh, because Carla would just insult them. Yeah. Carla is not someone you would put at the front of a queue when it comes to promoting your business. (laughs) I don't know whether they got a stunt double in for the scene with Rebecca, because I've watched this and it's it's clever camera editing, but there's enough changes of angle to make you think there's no way Rebecca could do that leap over the bar. They did get a stunt double. It is edited pretty well that there's only one thing you can see that makes it not obvious, but makes it known that it's a double from the angles. And it's that the hair is darker. Ah, you did it. You looked at this in more depth than I did. The only difference is that the stunt doubles has darker hair. I think they're taller as well, but they're moving very quickly. So their height is difficult to judge. But the way that it's edited, they get the they get the movement and momentum spot on. Yeah, I, I'm always fascinated by these little edits for TV that the live audience <laughs> is absolutely in on. Yeah, because they can see the change and see the way they've edited it. But the laughter remains the same at the end of the scene, which suggests that the audience they've either cut some laughter from somewhere else, which is unlikely, or the audience has been convinced to laugh at something they already know is going to happen. They shot, not the whole scene, but they shot the exchange twice. Mm. So they had the stunt double read Kirstie Alley's preceding line and following line that you could edit the sound together. Yeah. And and I wonder how much of that was going on, because when you do have a live performance, there's going to be mistakes. There's going to be technical errors. There's going to be people missing their cues or, or what have you. It must be difficult to capture the right sound. So there must be some editing going on of the sounds. Yes. Um, taking the laughter from one take and putting it over another, that sort of thing. Yes. And this is often when people talk about canned laughter. Don't get me wrong. Some shows 
have used canned laughter in the 70s and 80s. It was it's abundant. You know, it's I think it's mm. is it Annie Hall? And there's a bit where they're in the editing room. Woody goes, and then I put a big laugh on there. And, you know, it's a terrible joke with a huge laugh. Mm. Part of the reason that live multi-camera sitcoms people sometimes laugh more than the joke deserves because of delivery is because it's not the first delivery of the joke. They're responding to a different take. But watching a comedy that you're used to having a laughing track on without the laughing track can be quite odd. Yes, and there's, there's a debate in this, and I've seen quite a few videos where people have taken multi-camera sitcoms with a laugh track remove the laugh track out to as if to prove a point that it's not humorous it's like well it's watching it is awkward and the characters look awkward because they are waiting for people to stop laughing so there is a pause between each line so it is stilted whereas when you look at single camera they're a lot tighter because they're not waiting for anything yeah there's a great series of videos on YouTube. I know that people have removed the last track from Friends and... Um, Big Bang Theory is one. Big Bang Theory, yeah. And I won't comment on those series. Neither of them is my favourite. And I think I'm in the minority with Friends. A lot of people love that show. But there is a great version of Friends where they've just replaced all the laughter with just Ricky Gervais laughing. And because his laugh is so wild and over the top, yeah, it has. it's hilarious to hear, but it also has its own sub-commentary about what he's laughing at Yeah, that for me works. So yeah, do check that out. Scrubs did it once where, and I think a lot of other shows may have been very annoyed about this, Scrubs won an award for multi-camera sitcom in one season where JD had an episode-long fantasy about what if his life was a sitcom. And they really played up to the multi-camera thing, brighter lighting, tighter clothes on the women, the way that lines were delivered had the rhythm of the punchline. <laughs> and yeah. a number of characters in the show were named. What you saw in that episode of Scrubs was the key differences between single camera and multi camera, with multi camera being a performance piece. It's mm. made for an audience which are further away, it's exaggerated, and a single camera is a drama, is in terms of the technical aspects. Yeah. Interesting. We should probably return to, to the bar. Yes. Bar critic coming. Rebecca's jumped over. Is that how we got onto different sitcoms? Just by the stunt? Just by the stunt. He's quick to order martini and he wants it very specifically. Very, very dry, I think is what he wants. Perhaps to describe his own humour. But Rebecca happily serves it to him. And this touches into the technical aspects of a sitcom as well. Did you notice something about the martini? Well, it it didn't look very martini like. It looked a bit well, it looked a bit cloudy almost. It looked like it wasn't alcoholic and it looked like it had been served again and again. It was definitely served more than once, and I can tell you how we know this for a fact. The magic olive. Ah, was there an olive in it? It, did, it seemed clear to me. It seemed empty. It arrived without one. Camera cut away, cut back, magic olive. Unless he brought his own olive. Have you just invented a, a a new descriptive term that shall go down in history for describing... Describing props uh, which suddenly appear. Yeah, the magic olive. I like that. Our critic oversteps the mark in terms of his job. 
quite seedily by offering to take Rebecca out on a date, to which Rebecca, I don't think she can refuse, really. I suppose she could. She could retain her moral integrity. But given the previous review of the bar, she does say at one point she's going to treat it like a business dinner. Which is probably the best way to go about it, yeah. But the critic is very much overstepping his bounds in a way that I imagine happened a lot in the 70s, 80s. I think it was very much part of it. And with Diane, that was quite a recurring plot as well. Have you been to dinner with any podcast critics? No, but, you know, my diary's free. So (laughs) (laughs) if they're listening, I like steak. (laughs) Podcast award season is coming up. We have two storylines, as is fairly usual with the the Cheers episode. Uh, our other storyline involves Eddie, who's been out of work, Carla's husband, and he's finally got a job with the Pittsburgh Penguins, or at least Carla thinks it's the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, but there's been a bit of a miscommunication. He is a penguin, but he's a mascot. Not for the Penguins, for an ice show. Like Disney on ice, but not Disney. It seems to be the sort of retirement home for hockey players, uh, this sort of show. Uh, All the old hockey players, because what do you do with an ice skating skill after your ice skating career is over? Of course, it's perform as animals on ice would seem to be the answer. I mean, it still requires a fair amount of stamina and athleticism. I'd say because you're in a sweaty animal costume. Flying along the ice. Ironically, penguins don't fly. No. What's the downside to this particular job, James? In terms of my opinion or in terms of established in the episode? (laughs) I would love to hear your opinion now that you've mentioned it. Well, I can't skate very well, uh, for one. Um, Two, you know, the sweatiness and not being able to skate are probably... Key aspects in not enjoying the job. I'll just be a sweaty mess on the on the ice. Well, in terms of the episode, uh, the drawback is that the job is in Seattle, which is some distance away, which means that Carla will be losing her husband temporarily. But Eddie, you know, says that he'll call every day and he wants Carla to come visit. This, of course, brings up an issue in that Carla doesn't want to really go all that way to visit. Particularly with younguns, with childlings, with what do you call them? Babies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she claims she has a number of reasons that she can't go, all of which are offered solutions by the bar patrons. Sam says he'll happily lend her the money to go. Uh, Rebecca offers her the time off. In fact, more than time off. She tries to get rid of her for a year. Year in lieu. And she claims that her young babies are an obstacle to which Cliff tells her that actually they go free on these flights. And it becomes much more apparent that there is one singular reason that is preventing Carla from travelling. And it's that she doesn't like flying. She's scared of it. Uh, The reason behind which is very on brand for Carla. Did you have a bad experience? Yes, I did. First time in an airplane. It was on my honeymoon with Nick. We're going to New York. Short flight, no problem, right? Well, suddenly the plane hits turbulence, right? Me and Nick were thrown all around that bathroom. 
haven't flown since. I was surprised that she's got a fear of flying, considering that she went to Graceland. I'm guessing she got the Greyhound there, or the train. Probably the Greyhound. Could have been a road trip. Americans love a road trip, from what I hear. Or at least their films tell me so. British people hate a road trip. Uh, Yeah, we do. We have such a tiny country, and yet we're reticent to drive anywhere. (laughs) I think that's part of the appeal of a road trip, that once you get on the open road, then it's fun, whereas... Our roads aren't open. Our roads have car queues for... I mean, I know that they're a thing in America too, but given how small our country is, the majority of the journey will be car queues. Whereas in America, to get past the car queue when you're getting out of a city, big old road. Yeah. Yeah. Although it still doesn't sound that appealing to me. No. <laughs> but Carla's not going on any roads. With the babies, I think she feels that travelling by road would be arduous for her and the children and fellow passengers. So essentially it comes down to she's not going because she's scared of flying. We do get a potential solution to this or an offer of a solution, which is Frasier, who is quite intrigued by this. He's going, I'm going to therapise you. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, He says that he's always wanted to, he's been reading a lot about fear of flying recently, and he's wanted to set up a workshop for people with a fear of flying. They delve into the possible reasons behind fears of flying later in the episode, which I thought were interesting. I'm not someone who suffers from bad flight fear, but, and I've had a number of partners who do, to the point of some of them grabbing strangers' hands. I, I certainly had a a Spanish girl once on the flight grabbed my hand for the, the landing oh, and then thanked me in Spanish uh, at the end and walked off. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, cue my thoughts about, is this my future wife? Is this one of those moments? Is this a meet cute? I've heard of these things. <laughs> yeah, but for her, no, it was just a, a, a prop to help her through a difficult <laughs> moment. So, so I certainly understand Carla's apprehension. Particularly if you haven't had much exposure to flying. But then again, I know plenty of people who fly and are afraid every time and kudos for them for doing it. I mean, if you ask someone to put a tarantula on my hand once a year, I'm not sure I'd be... I would question why. I suppose flying does have an end point, doesn't it? A, 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 a purpose. Maybe if that tarantula allowed me to eat for the rest of the year. <laughs> this is your eating tarantula. Yeah. You have been blessed by the eating tarantula. You may continue. <laughs> Frasier's solution is to run group sessions. And I think it's over the period of a week. And he says, a week from now, you'll be able to fly. And I'm like, that's a quick turnaround. Yeah, I I did a week-long driving course. uh, There was no way enough time to learn to drive. (laughs) So a week is not long enough. To get over a mortal fear. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's even in the previous episode, Frasier specifically says these things take a long time and cost a lot of money, which is why he loves being a therapist. Just playing God a bit in this episode, isn't he? He's like, I want to see what happens more than anything else. Yeah. This is a really good thing that does happen because Eddie is getting quite insecure on the other end, wondering why his wife isn't visiting and actually thinks that he's doing something wrong. Or So it's a real relief to him in quite a chaotic scene on the other end of the phone. He considers quitting his role because he wants to be with his or at least wants to see his family but yeah in that scene he's there's a mascot brawl yeah so eddie answers the phone to carla in the 
what you presume is the dressing room after the show or before the show. And this conversation happens all the while, while a very funny collection of mascots engage in a ice hockey brawl in the background. The suggestion, I suppose, being that they never lose that tendency, regardless of what they're doing in their careers. You could take the player out of ice hockey, but you can't take ice hockey out of the player. Even when they're dressed as furry Disney characters. <laughs> yeah. There wasn't a monkey in that lineup, which was disappointing. I thought I thought we'd find <laughs> I think you know, we'd find the monkey in the Barry episode. To to satisfy my monkey fetish. I don't I wouldn't call it a fetish. I think it's more of just an association. Yeah. I, I, a happenstance. I am a monkey magnet, you might say. <laughs> And it might be because I am quite her suit. Maybe those monkeys are just drawn to... Maybe I'm the missing link. I'm the connection <laughs> between humankind and monkey kind, the bridge. But they do go on this flight. They seem to, by they I mean Fraser's patients, seem to get over their fear after some tribulation. Fraser has a William Shatner slash John Lithgow, there's something on the wing moment. Yeah, it starts out well on the ground. Uh, Frasier is reassuring everyone, uh, repeating mantras and lessons from the previous week to settle them. Each has their own individual reasons for not flying or being afraid of flying, which is quite nice, actually. I I, I think they give a little bit of uh, weight to each of those characters that has suddenly appeared in this episode. Yeah, the ones that come to mind was the lack of control. I just wish I had more control. I think I'd feel better if I were flying the plane. Trust me, that doesn't help. How do you know? I was a pilot for this airline. <laughs> you were? No. I was flying a jumbo jet, full plane, and it occurred to me that all these people have their lives in the hands of someone like me. I couldn't go up again. I, I don't like roller coasters for the same reason that the character in this episode says, that I'm not driving the roller coaster. I am at the whim of... What should be a very safe, mechanical, repeating process, but it's not me in control. So the next turn hasn't been decided by me and therefore makes me uncomfortable. Oh, this could go into an argument about free will, but let's not because we've already talked about (laughs) a lot. And this is the point where Frasier kind of subdues them a little, calms them down. Then he thinks he spots ice on the wing. Which, uh, my parents are up in Scotland. If, if I've travelled up in Christmas, if there wasn't ice on the wing, I'd be a bit concerned because it's Scotland and cold. <laughs> yeah, ice on the wing, ice on everything else as well in Scotland at certain <laughs> yeah. times of the year. Yeah. Imagine looking out the window of your house in Scotland and saying, there's ice! <laughs> <laughs> and then having a, a wild panic. As good as he's done up to this point in settling his patients, he with a bit of turbulence, starts to crumble. And and I say starts to crumble, it's a, it's a rapid descent, unlike the plane, which is doing absolutely fine. It's very much a Frasier moment and very much in line with his performances as an actor going forward. It's one of his trademarks, the, the sudden switch to the wild-eyed and the over-the-top. Do you feel cold air rushing here? No. Oh my God, there's a leak in the fuselage. Run down, Frazier. Oh God, look! It's the wings! They're flapping around like a wounded duck! We're all going to die! Frazier, you're not in your happy place! What do you mean in the grave? We're going down! We're going down! We're going to get out of here! Mommy! It then switches a little, doesn't go 
full switch, but it ends up with Carla trying to reassure him. And the last we see is Fraser running manically down the centre aisle to try and get off the plane. Cut to black. Back in the bar, the review's been published after Rebecca's dinner arrangement. And it's very, very positive, much to everyone's surprise. They all know what they think Rebecca did. Yes, they tease her that she followed through with what I'm sure the critic would have seen as a desirable outcome from their date. But Rebecca is insistent that she did not sleep with the man, which, as much as they tease her, they wouldn't want that to be the case because then the review would be null and void. Sam would feel a bit cheated as well. In terms of... In terms of he's been chasing Rebecca for almost a year now, and this critic came in and all he had to do was say, I'll give your place of business a bad review. Sam would not be a happy man. But it would also fit in line with Rebecca's character in, in the business. sense of... Yeah. yeah, that's the one thing that Sam can't appeal to her with, whereas this critic could, even though unsuccessfully. Should we talk about the cast? There is a hefty guest list. We have Jay Thomas as Eddie Lebeck. We also have Peter Elblingen as the critic whose name is Murray Treadwell. Thank you for that, Barry. That wasn't to cover up because I kept mispronouncing his name. He also appeared in Manic's Demon Seed, The Bastard, Mork and Mindy. <laughs> 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 Uh, Laverne and Shirley, Barney Miller, Police Squad, Taxi, The A-Team, V, Remington Steel, Magnum P.I., The Golden Girls, Police Academy 6, and many more. I was laughing because it it sounded to me like his ex-wife had written his IMDB profile. (laughs) Demon Seed, The Bastard. Just slip that in there. Robert Starr as passenger number one. He also appeared in the Kentucky Fried movie, Chips, Airplane, Night Court, Wings, and many more. Carol Navratil as passenger number two. In addition to this acting role, she was also the assistant to the Charles Brothers from the season four finale trilogy, Strange Bedfellows, through to season nine, episode nine in 1990. Peter Gonneau as passenger number three. He also appeared in The Golden Girls, Who's the Boss, Knots Landing, Wings, and many more. Michelle Davison as flight attendant. She also appeared in Starskin Hutch, Falcon Crest, Dynasty, Knots Landing, Babe, The Bold and the Beautiful, Jag, Malcolm in the Middle, ER, and many more. Al Rosen as Al, Thomas Babson as Tom. This is his final appearance in Cheers, which is a little sad. We liked Lawyer Tom. Cooper Neal as Customer. He also appeared in The Jackie Gleason Show, Soap, Like Normal People, Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker, Neon Maniacs, and Small Wonder. David LaBelle is uncredited as Ice Show Panda. He is a stunt performer who has also doubled for Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, Tony Curtis, Alex Winter, Adam Baldwin, John Stockwell, Drew Carey, and others. His film and TV work includes Starskin Hutch, Every Which Way But Loose, There's Your Monkey Connection, Charlie's Angels, The Blues Brothers, Airplane, Any Which Way You Can, Buck Rogers, Raging Bull, The Incredible Hulk, MASH, Saint Elsewhere, The Karate Kid, The Dukes of Hazard, Happy Days, The Fall Guy, Days of Our Lives, Robocop 2, Gattaca, Malcolm in the Middle, Deadbird, Star Trek Enterprise, Westworld, and many more. His sister is an FBI agent. That's our guest list. What a lovely little fact at the end. <laughs> Just sneak that in. 
back in the bar. It seems to end well for the review. Sam admits to Woody that he's just teasing Rebecca and he doesn't really believe that she slept with a critic. And this joke sort of is carried through into the final moments with Mr. Drake ringing to congratulate them on the review. And even he thinks that she slept with him too. Our episode ends with another person in the bar feeling nervous about flying and getting referred to Frasier, who is in the corner of the bar, still looking shaken. Carla's fine with flying. She's just going the next day because after Frasier's hysteria, they had to park the plane. So Carla's over it. So we have a happy conclusion to our episode. Is that the trivia? All right, Cliff. He's delivered this fresh from a plane. Is this an airdrop? Is it airmail? He's parachuted in a little package for us. Yeah. Well, we've got a little uh, certificate here as well. Happy 150th. That's nice. It's a 150th episode, Barry, including episodes we have on Patreon, of course. Excellent. Yeah, thanks, Cliff. I'll put that up on my wall. Tell me more about the extra episodes for the Patreon subscribers, James. Well, we've got bonus episodes where we discuss the pilot episode of the Tortellis. We also discuss the Simpsons homage to Cheers, Flaming Moe's which is very exciting, and a Christmas special where we discussed the Cheers board game published in 87, which we had a whale of a time playing. It was a game that became more fun the more we played it. So you can find all those bonus episodes on on Patreon and there'll be many more bonus episodes on the way. But as usual, before we open our letters, we have to give a shout out to our norms on Patreon. So this goes out to Treb Curry. If you want that special norm treatment, then check out our Patreon page for that and so much more. In the Cheers bar review that they got last time, what was the description uh, given to the bar and some of its members? Oafish clientele and a dumb lug of a bartender. That's the one. The title of this episode, Airport 5, is of course a parody of the airport films, which were, you know, airplane disaster movies. The movie Airplane and its sequel were, of course, parodies of this, but this uh, is also a parody of them, Airport 5. But what were the names of the first four airport films? Oh, do I get to just go wild here? Yes. Okay. Airport. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Let's say Airport 2. Wrong. Um, Oh, no. Is it something like the Descent. That would be a good title, but but no. They're not very imaginatively named. Is it uh, Airport 4, The Drinks Trolley is Empty? Ooh, that would be good, but no. I can tell you what they are, if you'd like. I would like. They're called Airport, the first one, and then the year that they came out for the others. Airport 1975, Airport 77, and The Concorde, Airport 79. Are these disaster movies? Yes. Never heard of them. Norm has an argument with the critic about one of his favourite eateries. What is that eatery and what does Norm describe as its good feature? It's the Hungry Heifer. It is. And is it $5 steak or something? It is a 25-ounce steak for one ninety nine. Jesus. Which is quite a deal, but I, I would question what that steak is off. What is the headline of the tabloid in the cold open? Headline is, and quite a nice one, uh, which is Suicidal Twin Kills Brother by Mistake. Cliff pesters Carla about 
not being able to fly. What is Carla's insulting reply to Cliff, which creates, evokes quite an image as well? Oh, it would be something vaguely sexual, but disturbing. If it is vaguely sexual, <laughs> I don't like to think about what what uh, your activities in the bedroom are. I'd certainly fit a, a smoke alarm if if I was you. What she says is, drop it or I'll set your face on fire and beat out the flames with your butt. Yeah, no, that's not vaguely sexual at all. <laughs> For any ladies interested uh, in <laughs> <Yes>. contacting James... <laughs> Other than Eddie, what mascots are at the ice rink? They go from the household to the uh, insane. Well, I'm going to make guesses because I don't wasn't really paying attention. Some of them had their masks off and were punching each other. So there was a bird, like a rooster or something, or chicken. I don't have that listed. Okay, then I might be wrong. A cat. The, yeah, there was a big cat. There was a leopard slash cheetah, which is a big cat. And the absurd, you say. So let's say there's an anteater. <laughs> With the big old nose. No, uh, I can tell you. For my benefit, was there a monkey? There was one which could have been a monkey. I was struggling to figure out what animal it was. There was a dog, a bunny, a lion, a leopard or cheetah, a princess, a panda, a wolf, a pig, and what appears to be a care bear mixed with a burlesque dancer. Excellent. My favourite type of Care Bear. For an extra point, you might get the extra point, which two creatures started the fight? I know the first one was dressed in white. That's all I remember. It was the lion and the panda. When the patients are on the plane, one of the patients has a good luck charm with them. What is that? St. Christopher. It is. It's a St. Christopher necklace. That one guy has St. Christopher and Carla has a bag full of St. Christopher's. Yes, she does. Yeah. When the patients are feeling nervous due to some activity on the plane, Frasier repeats the mantra, uh, meow, meow, meow. Why does he do this? Oh, it's to do with purr of the engine? No, close. He does refer to it as, that's just the little kitty. But actually he says, because of cat which is clear air turbulence. Well, this has been a whirlwind of an episode. We've discussed a lot. We've discussed technical aspects of sitcom production. We've discussed the origins of fear. Been an exciting 150th. It has. And as a celebration of that fact, what are we going to drink here, James? I want to say a bubbly. What fancy drinks do you get on planes? Bubbly's not too bad. It's pressurised, just like our airplane cabin. And just like the patients. Yeah. Okay, how about a, a glass of sky-high bubbly? Ooh, that sounds delightful. With ice to fit in with the B-plot? Uh, yeah, that sounds that sounds good too. Bubbly with ice. Is that, is that a done thing? In an ice bucket. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Give me a champagne on the rocks. <laughs> and with a side of a magic olive. Yes, excellent. I'll drink to that, James. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, audience. This has been Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a Cheers podcast. Mm-hmm.